0: Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. On a Saturday afternoon in August 1991, a hot young TV star was set to make an appearance at the Plantation Fashion Mall in Southern Florida. Organizers were warned the expected crowd of two to 3,000 teenagers might get a bit unruly. They should prepare for some excitement. In response, about 50 security guards and police officers were called in. The mall began to fill up at 9 a.m. Teens climbed on top of pots and planters to see over the crowd that grew to 10,000 by 2 p.m. When the teen idol with dreamy sideburns finally took the stage, the crowd surged forward, bursting through the blockade of police and security guards. Teenage girls fainted. Others were trampled. The actor, who came to sign autographs, was whisked off the stage to the safety of an empty meeting room. Even still, the teens kept chanting his name. It was a wild scene. Before it was over, more than 20 people were hurt. At least 12 were taken to hospital with broken bones and other injuries. And that was just a taste of what was to come as the actor and the TV show that he starred on were on their way to becoming part of an international pop culture phenomenon that drove fans wild. I'm Kathy Kinsora, and this is History of the 90s, a podcast about a decade that changed the world. On this episode, we're looking back at a show that dominated the TV landscape for a decade, with love triangles, drug addictions, and over-the-top storylines that you either loved or loved to hate. This is the story of Beverly Hills 90210. The man responsible for producing the teen show that reigned throughout the 90s was not new to the game. Aaron Spelling and his production company had brought a slew of other TV shows to air in the 1970s and 80s, everything from TJ Hooker and Dynasty to Charlie's Angels and The Love Boat. In fact, Spelling had so many shows on ABC that the network was dubbed Aaron's Broadcasting Company. But by the end of the 80s, ratings for many of his shows were on the decline. And when Brandon Stoddard took over programming at ABC, he publicly declared that the network would no longer be Aaron's broadcasting company, and he canceled every single one of Aaron Spelling's shows. It was a stunning turn of events for a man who had completely owned the TV landscape for nearly two decades, and it could have meant the end of his career. But instead, Aaron Spelling reinvented himself. And it started with a call in 1989 from Barry Diller. He was the head of Fox, the newish cable channel that was giving the big three networks a run for their money with shows like Married with Children and The Simpsons. Diller had decided to expand primetime programming on Fox from three nights a week to five, and he needed some new content. He suggested that maybe Spelling should quote, whip up a new high school show, which is kind of funny considering that the producer was 66 years old at the time. Sarah D. Bunting, author and host of the 90210 podcast called Again With This, says Spelling was a good fit for a show that would wind up being the first teen soap opera.
1: I think that's on brand for spelling, who sort of had a really good ear for the um, not highbrow things that the American public would like and how to market them. And he's happy to sort of, or was happy to sort of retail it as message TV, but in the end it sort of returned water, found its like more surface soapy with sudsy level, I guess you would say.
0: 27-year-old Darren Star was tapped to write the pilot, and although he's associated today with multiple iconic shows, including Sex and the City, back in 1990, he was a virtually unknown writer with no TV experience. Star was more interested in film, and in fact, he had written three movies, including the 1988 comedy Due in Time on Planet Earth, which impressed Diller. Star came from the East Coast. He grew up in Washington, DC, and then moved to California to attend UCLA. And he used that experience as a jumping off point for the pilot, coming up with the idea of middle-class twins, Brandon and Brenda Walsh, who moved from Minnesota to Beverly Hills with their down-to-earth parents. Despite his lack of experience writing for TV, Star managed to turn in a pilot script within a couple of weeks, and it had the working title, Class of Beverly Hills. But then Starr says the show almost fell apart before it even got off the ground because they had a really hard time casting Brandon. The week before the pilot was to start shooting in March, 1990, they still hadn't found the right person for the role. Then they got word about a 20-year-old Canadian actor on a show called Sister Kate that was headed for cancellation. So in the 11th hour, they called him in for an audition. Starr says as soon as he heard Jason Priestley read the role, he knew they had found their Brandon. They called him in on a Thursday, he was hired on Friday, and shooting started Monday. It was that last minute. Starring alongside Jason Priestley was 19-year-old Shannon Doherty, who had already been hired to portray Brandon's twin sister, Brenda. Like Priestley, Doherty had been acting since she was a kid landing the role of Jenny Wilder on the TV show Little House, A New Beginning in 1982 at the age of 11. Then in 1989, Doherty made her film debut alongside Winona Ryder and Christian Slater in the cult classic Heathers.
1: I prayed for the death of Heather Chandler many times, and I felt bad every time I did it, but I kept doing it anyway. Now I know you understood everything. Praise Jesus, hallelujah.
0: Darren Starr says Doherty was terrific at her audition, but she told the New York Times in 2008 that she thought she was horrible. Doherty remembers walking out and thinking she blew it, but then the casting director came out and sort of winked at her and said, "'I wouldn't count yourself out yet, kiddo,' and she was like, okay, whatever." Of course, Doherty did get the job, and joining her on the set to shoot the pilot were several other good-looking teens, or at least they passed as teens, Some were actually well into their 20s. 18-year-old Jenny Garth, who moved from Arizona to Los Angeles to pursue her acting dreams, would play the self-centered Kelly Taylor. 26-year-old Ian Ziering was hired to portray spoiled playboy Steve Sanders. Aaron Spelling's 17-year-old daughter Tori landed the role of ditzy Donna Martin, And the story goes that Tori auditioned under the name Tori Mitchell for the director of the pilot, who apparently had no idea who she was, or at least pretended not to know who she was. But even Tori admits her dad probably had something to do with her getting the job. Rounding out the cast of high schoolers was 29-year-old Gabrielle Carteris, who apparently hid her age from producers so that she could land the role of the 16-year-old brainy overachiever Andrea Zuckerman, and 17-year-old Brian Austin Green who played eager freshman David Silver. As for adults, Carol Potter played Brandon and Brenda's mom Cindy Walsh, and their dad was actually played by someone different in the original pilot. Lyman Ward, who famously portrayed the dopey dad on Ferris Bueller's Day Off, was cast in the 90210 pilot but was replaced by James Eckhouse when the series debuted because producers thought Ward was too cartoony. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute, there's a very important character missing. What about Dylan McKay? Well, he actually wasn't in the original pilot, but after it was shot, writer Darren Starr realized something was missing. He said the show needed an avatar of cool, and 23-year-old Luke Perry fit the bill perfectly. Perry had actually auditioned for the part of Steve Sanders, which went to Ian Ziering, but when Star figured out that the show needed to add super cool, sensitive bad boy character Dylan McKay, Perry was called back in. The aspiring actor had some credits to his name already, most notably a 10-episode run on the daytime soap, Another World. He played Kenny, the agent of aspiring actress Josie Watts.
1: There it is, and remember, I got you this job, okay? Next time
0: nice. I take my 10% out of it. Oh, there isn't going to be a next time. Oh, sure there is. I mean, we've got uh, New Year's Eve, Jimmy's birthday. Not... At the time of his 90210 audition, Luke Perry was actually working construction, shoveling asphalt in LA as a way to pay his bills. But not for long, because Darren Starr was blown away by Luke Perry. He told Rolling Stone in 1992 that when the actor walked into the audition, he was like, wow, that's the person. Star said Perry seemed exactly like James Dean. But it wasn't a conscious imitation. He was really just being himself. And Aaron Spelling was also blown away by Luke Perry. He liked him so much that when the network wasn't keen on making Dylan a regular character, Spelling offered to pay Perry's salary out of his own money. You see, the network thought Brenda and Dylan's romance should just be a three-episode arc, But Fox relented after spelling went to the mat for Perry and made Dylan McKay a permanent character. The 90-minute debut episode aired at 8.30 on Thursday, October 4, 1990, with a new name. The class of Beverly Hills was now Beverly Hills 90210, the zip code that belonged to the most expensive neighborhood in the country. The next week, the show would move to its regular 9 p.m. time slot, putting it up against NBC's powerhouse sitcom Cheers, which was a pretty tough place to debut a new show. In the first episode, Brandon and Brenda experienced culture shock on their first day of school at West Beverly Hills High, which incidentally is a fictional school. There is a real Beverly Hills High with alumni that include Jamie Lee Curtis, Nora Ephron, and Richard Dreyfuss. But when producers approached the school for permission to set and film the show at the school, the Beverly Hills School Board declined both requests. So the fictional West Beverly Hills High School, or West Beverly, was born and the show was filmed at Torrance High School in Torrance, California. And here's a little bit of extra trivia. Torrance High is also the high school location for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she's all that. On 90210, the TV High School has valet parking and lots of students who wear designer clothes and drive expensive convertibles, which freaks out Brenda more
2: than Brandon.
1: Mom, let's go shopping today and I'll go to school tomorrow. First impressions are incredibly important. Honey,
2: you can make a wonderful first impression.
1: Everybody here looks like they just stepped out of a music video. I don't even have the right hair.
0: But have no fear, the Walsh twins quickly make friends. And by the end of episode one, they're embroiled in their first Beverly Hills drama. Brenda uses a fake ID to get into a nightclub and almost hooks up with a 25-year-old lawyer. And Brandon accidentally spreads a rumor that he had sex with party girl Marianne.
1: Look, Robinson, all I can say is that I did something with Marianne on Saturday that most guys probably couldn't handle.
0: What's that supposed to mean, man? Is your imagination. TV critics weren't sold on the new show. Some even predicted 90210 wouldn't last as long as a school semester. They called it shallow and said it was filled with stereotypes and stock characters. Tara Ariano, co-host of the 90210 podcast, again with this, also had questions about Jason Priestley
2: and Shannon Doherty's believability. I don't know how much they were cast for authenticity. Like, neither of them attempted any kind of accent tree that would indicate that they were had lived their entire life before coming to Beverly Hills in Minnesota, for example. Sarah D. Bunting says, in fact, none of the actors were exactly
0: heavyweights. I think that generally they picked um,
1: actors across the board who were like believable in fairly soapy slash in the early going, very special episode material, but weren't necessarily good. They were just good for this show, especially Tori, sorry girl, but oof.
0: Ratings for the early episodes were pretty terrible. It didn't help that Fox spent little energy promoting the show, something that ticked off Darren Star. He also thought the show was in the wrong time slot. 8 p.m. would be better for a teen show than 9. Plus, there were a slew of other teen shows in the fall of 1990 that were siphoning off viewers. Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Hull High, and the short-lived small screen version of Ferris Bueller. 90210 really looked like it was destined to be canceled. But Fox kept it on the air, not necessarily because it had faith in the show, more because the network had nothing to replace it with. Then something happened. A small but extremely devoted audience of teens started talking about 90210 to their friends at school. And at the same time, the show started to get a little bit better. By about the third episode, writers began making the characters less stereotypical and more complex. And soon they were dealing with tougher issues like drug abuse, date rape, divorce, and AIDS. It even won an award from the Partnership for a Drug-Free America for an episode about Kelly's alcoholic mother. Plus, they took the focus off of the Walsh family, fish out of water story, and shifted it more onto the everyday lives of Brandon, Brenda, and their friends. The first of the teen-centric episodes coincidentally aired in February, 1991, right in the middle of the first Gulf War. The other big three networks suspended regular programming to broadcast news coverage of the war, but Fox didn't have a news department yet, so they continued on with their usual shows, including 90210, and because of that, the show saw a rating spike. And it wasn't just that. When they dug deeper into the numbers, it revealed something even more impressive. 75% of all teenage girls in the country were watching the show, which was a demographic dream for advertisers and repeat episodes were doing just as well, if not better, than the originals. So there was definitely a word-of-mouth thing happening. By May 1991, a devoted cult following of teens were glued to their TVs to find out if Brenda and Dylan would finally have sex. And spoiler alert, they did, sneaking out of prom to go to a hotel room. The show's creators actually received quite a bit of negative feedback because of the spring dance episode. Darren Starr says he was surprised that parents could actually be shocked to know a 17-year-old girl might be having sex with her boyfriend of one year. He accused them of having blinders on. Affiliate stations that aired 90210 were also scandalized by the storyline. But Starr believed it wasn't because the teenage couple had sex. The problem was he said that Brenda enjoyed it and there were no negative consequences. The network, however, took note of the concerns and strongly suggested that Star write an episode that meted out consequences, to send a message that sex is not something that should be taken lightly. The final episode of season one ran on May 9th, 1991, and ended with Brenda telling Dylan she might be pregnant. How's that for a consequence? The good news is fans of the show didn't have to wait until September to find out if Brenda was going to become a teen mom. That's because Fox decided to take a pretty big gamble, a move that would catapult it from cult favorite to full-on pop culture phenomenon. During the 90s, it was typical for the TV networks to run repeats of their shows during the summer months. But according to Sarah D. Bunting, in July and August of 1991, Fox aired all new episodes of 90210. Whoever's call that was, whether at Fox, whether they
1: were pressured to do that by um, people on the creative slash production side, I don't know. But I think if they had stuck to a regular like 22 episode September to May format, we would not be talking about them.
0: It was a brilliant and savvy move. 90210's new episodes consistently placed in the Nielsen ratings top 20. That summer, 90210 went from the bottom of the ratings barrel to becoming the Fox Network's most popular series, bigger than The Simpsons and married with children. All eyes were on the cool kids from California and their crazy shenanigans. Brandon quit his job at the Peach Pit to take a high paying job at the Beverly Hills Beach Club. Donna got sun poisoning Oh, and in case you were wondering, Brenda wasn't pregnant. But Starr says in response to pressure from the network, he wrote in a breakup between TV's most popular couple because their relationship had gotten too mature. Part of the reason that Fox decided to run new episodes in the summer of 91 had to do with what was happening at malls around the country when cast members showed up to sign autographs. Mobs, and I mean mobs, of screaming teens, mostly female, Jam shopping centers to catch a glimpse of their favorite actors, especially if it happened to be Luke Perry. In May
2: 1991,
0: more than 3,000 teenagers flocked to a shopping center in Bellevue, Washington, a suburb of Seattle, to catch a glimpse of Perry. Officials were only expecting about 500 people to show up so they had to call in reinforcements. Employees at a department store even joined arms to help keep crazed fans from rushing the scene. But it wasn't enough, and five people ended up getting injured before the autograph session was shut down. Luke Perry revealed a couple of months later that he had to be snuck out of the mall inside a laundry hamper covered with clothes. Later that summer, on August 10th, things got even crazier in Plantation, Florida, during the stampede I told you about at the top of the episode. Soon after that, Perry stopped making public appearances altogether because he was worried someone might get seriously injured, including himself. Perry tried to take the whole thing in stride. He said he was very flattered by the attention, but insisted that fans were coming out to see the character he played on TV, not him. To keep things in perspective, Perry liked to remind himself that a year ago he was shoveling asphalt and a year from now he could be doing it again. Sarah D. Bunting wasn't among Perry's screaming fans. She says initially she thought his character Dylan was a bit of a jackass. And there was a lot of like head tilting and indicating
1: instead of acting. There were some outfits that I felt were like pathetic, fallacious reflections of what a tool he was. Like there's a sleeveless Baja top that I'd still, it haunts my nightmares. <laughs> and the, you know, early in his appearance, like the overalls with a single
0: strap undone and the going on about Lord Byron, like, to shut up, dude. But today on Reflection, she thinks Luke Perry grew into his role. And I think we have gotten better about being more compassionate towards
1: how impossible sometimes these moments that they were given to play were for young actors probably not being given a ton of thoughtful direction.
0: By September 1991, when the 90210 teens headed back to class, their second year as juniors, by the way, cast members were everywhere. Featured on the cover of People, Us, and Entertainment Weekly magazines, and they appeared on TV talk shows like Kathy Lee and Regis and the Arsenio Hall Show. Here's Luke Perry on Arsenio.
1: When women love you, do guys hate you? Uh, uh they. Ooh. No, not all, not always. You know, it, it's great. Um, sometimes sometimes guys are real nice and they like you and they like the stuff you do. Cause my character is kind of a guy's guy. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, they get a little jealous sometimes when when, you know. Uh, if their girlfriends just go, ah, and starts running at you, they get, you know, they feel like, what's wrong with me? Why am I standing here and you run over there? And then they get a little shaky sometimes. But.
0: A survey released in October 91 found that almost 60% of girls aged 12 to 18 picked Luke Perry as their favorite actor, dethroning Johnny Depp as the number one heartthrob. Suddenly, sideburns were making a big comeback thanks to both Perry and Jason Priestley, and teen girls were loving Shannon Doherty's bangs, making it a popular hairstyle in the fall of 91. Sarah D Bunting was among those who coveted Doherty's hair. I will never
1: have those beautiful, swooping, glossy bangs, and yet I still sometimes I look at that hair and I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) like, take take me to that place,
0: that bang Valhalla. And of course, there was 90210 merch to keep fans happy, and lots of it. T-shirts, calendars, trading cards, backpacks, jewelry, and keychains. Mattel made Barbie-sized dolls for each 90210 character, and there was a highly-desired pillow with Luke Perry's face on it. Despite the craziness, both Sarah and Tara think Perry was able to maintain a pretty good sense of humor about the whole thing.
2: I mean, it truly was a a golden handcuff situation for these actors who, in most cases, barely had had any kind of resume before the show came along. And then it just ate their lives like it just it really changed them forever. And some people leaned into that and were in every single episode and some people, you know, bristled at it and were very like, I am not Spock. I am Spock about it, you know? By
0: about halfway through season two, the show's viewership numbers had doubled. 20 million adoring fans a week were tuning in, sometimes more. And it was firmly the number one show with the majority of all teens, male and female. Even Darren Starr was surprised at the runaway success of the show. But he believed the reason it was such a hit was because it tapped into a reality about teenagers' lives. It wasn't just mindless entertainment. The kids on 90210 may be richer, more beautiful, and have nicer hair, but they still faced emotional crises, just like everyone else. Sometimes the crises were small, but other times it was life and death. A good example was an episode in season two called The Next 50 Years, which aired on November 7th, 1991. It involved a character I haven't mentioned yet. The cowboy hat-wearing Scott Scanlon, played by Douglas Emerson, who was the unpopular nerdy friend of David Silver. After season one, producers decided to write the character out of the show, and it was agreed he would go out with a bang, literally. Scott was killed off when he accidentally shot himself with his father's gun at his own birthday party, no less. Very dramatic, yes, but Charles Rosen, who co-wrote the episode, said he was inspired by real-life events. The morning Rosen let Emerson know that they were not picking up his option, he heard about a 17-year-old who had been accidentally shot and killed in a hotel near Disneyland on grad night. So Rosen decided to incorporate that into Emerson's exit from the show. 90210 may have lost Scott Scanlon in season two, but it gained Emily Valentine, the bad girl of West Beverly High. Emily Valentine, played by Christina Leese, showed up for the first day of classes in season two, riding a motorcycle and dressed in a leather jacket, ripped jeans, and heavy boots. With her short, bleached platinum blonde hair, she was edgy, kind of punk rock, and totally different from the other girls on the show. She was only in 12 episodes, but she left quite an impression. A brief fling with Brandon ends when Emily takes him to an underground party slash rave and secretly spikes his drink with euphoria, which in TV land is code for ecstasy.
1: When I told you I didn't want to do euphoria, I meant it. Next
0: time, Mm I'll know. There isn't gonna be a next time. Emily becomes obsessed with getting Brandon back and starts stalking him. She lights a homecoming float on fire and is institutionalized. Again, very dramatic, but it had viewers on the edge of their seats. After season two, Emily Valentine pops up again for a couple of episodes in seasons four and five. She's made a full recovery from whatever caused her to stalk Brandon, and despite some mutual interest between the two, the timing is never right for them to become an item. In real life, however, between 1992 and 97, Jason Priestley and Christina Leese dated and then lived together. There were reportedly many other off-screen romances among 90210 cast members. Some confirmed, others not. Tori Spelling has publicly said she had a fling with Jason Priestley, dated her TV boyfriend Brian Austin Green, and even kissed Luke Perry one time. In his memoir, Jason Priestley shared that various combinations of people slept with each other over the years, but nobody ever got attached. There was also some off-screen friction among cast members, most notably with Shannon Doherty and just about everybody else. Today, the -the behind-the-scenes drama involving Doherty is the stuff of legends. Tons has been written about how she often feuded with castmates and how she even had a physical altercation with Jenny Garth that had to be broken up by some of the guys on set. Even as far back as season two, the actress had earned quite the reputation of causing problems. In a 1992 Rolling Stone interview, Doherty addressed the issue by saying, I'm open to different ideas, but if you get on my bad side and you don't listen to me and you don't treat me with as much respect as you treat a man, you've got a problem." The tabloids latched onto her bad girl image and made her front page news after she had an altercation with another young woman at a Los Angeles nightclub. Some fans of the show formed I Hate Brenda clubs, and there was even a I Hate Brenda newsletter that mailed out more than 7,000 copies. Doherty again attempted to defend her reputation by saying that people had confused her with her on-screen character, who many felt had become a stuck-up you-know-what. But behind the scenes, there were some legitimate problems. Writer and producer Charles Rosen has said Doherty was callous and indifferent and was habitually late to set, behavior he called appalling. Today, we know more about some of the struggles Doherty was facing at the time and the impact of the supernova stardom that had exploded around the show. And in retrospect, Tara Ariano doesn't think the young actor was treated fairly by the court of public opinion.
2: I don't think anything can can prepare you for this and so if part of how you cope when you're a young 20 something is to like act out on the set or the only thing you feel like you have control over is to like show up late and make people wait for you is this healthy? No, but you know, maybe we have more empathy for it now that we have more understanding of what this life is like. Season 3 of the show kicked off in
0: July 1992 on a new day and time, Wednesday at 8. Once again, Fox decided to run all new episodes while other shows were in reruns. It promised to be another steaming hot summer for the teens from West Beverly Hills High.
2: Next Wednesday, they knew their relationship was forbidden. I don't want you seeing Brenda.
1: You may think you can control your daughter. You can't control me.
2: But when you want someone, you'll do anything in the name of love.
0: What am I doing?
2: Even if it means going too far.
0: You have been... To keep Brenda and Dylan apart, the Walsh parents agree to send their daughter on a trip to Paris with Donna, which led to one of the buzziest storylines of the series. While Brenda is away, Kelly and Dylan have a summer fling, setting the stage for an iconic love triangle. It's not clear if writers did it on purpose, but that decision ushered in Jenny Garth as a leading lady and began the demise of Shannon Doherty. The gang's senior year is filled with the usual teen drama, along with some tough decisions about their future after high school. It culminated during Sweep's week in May 1993 with an episode that today is considered one of the most classic moments of the series. After getting busted for guzzling champagne at the prom in the previous episode, Donna Martin is suspended from school and told she won't be able to walk in graduation with her classmates. Enter Brandon Walsh, who picks up Donna's cause and instigates a movement that spreads throughout West Beverly Hills High. Donna
1: Martin graduates. Graduate. Donna Martin graduates. Donna Martin graduates. Donna Martin, Donna Martin Maybe this has gone too far. Maybe you should just tell everybody to go home. Hey, come on, you sound like Spiro Agnew. Everybody!
0: In the end, Donna gets to graduate, and the catchphrase, Donna Martin graduates, became a part of pop culture history. Brandon's role as seeker of justice for Donna Martin didn't come as a surprise for most loyal fans of 90210. That's because he was often portrayed as the moral center of the show, which Tara strongly believes is not a designation that he deserves.
2: I mean, he's so self-righteous. He just always thinks he's right. He's constant. I mean, the word that we that we use on the podcast for his particular way of like getting in someone's face and just yelling at them in his weird nasal tone is Brandon Bray's at whoever. And that's really what it sounds like. Like, you know, like a donkey, like he's he just always thinks he's right. And the show sort of positions him like it thinks he's the moral center of it. And he makes a lot of really questionable choices. Season four
0: of 90210 saw the teens from West Beverly Hills High take off for college. It was a huge transition, with characters scattered all over the country. Producers worried it might spell the end of the show. But fans remained true to 90210 and continued tuning in. Behind the scenes, though, things were getting more and more tense between cast members and Shannon Doherty. Producer and writer Charles Rosen says it was clear that Doherty wasn't very happy on the show anymore. He told Entertainment Weekly in 2000 that Doherty's lateness remained a huge problem, referring to one particular incident. He said she had shown up late two days before, so they were remaking a shot at 7.45 in the morning. Everybody was there and she didn't show up until 9.45. Once Jason Priestley said, I've had it, it was the beginning of the end. At the end of season four, Doherty and her character, Brenda Walsh, were finally written out of the show. The exact cause or the final straw wasn't made public at the time. Many speculated though, that it was because Doherty cut her hair short without notifying producers. More recently, Tori Spelling has admitted that it might've been her fault that the actress was finally fired. Spelling says when things got really bad on set, she asked her dad to remove Doherty from the cast. And a short time later, she was gone. Shannon Doherty's last episode on the show was the season four finale on May 25th, 1994. Sarah D. Bunting was sad to see the Brenda character written off the show. I always sort of felt like Brenda was, you know, she wasn't the favored child
1: in that fictional household. She was always being told she was dramatic. She was always getting punished. Her parents didn't really know how to deal with her. And I
0: thought that she was the most relatable. Two months later in July, 1994, Fox announced a replacement for Brenda. Tiffany Amber Thiessen, the real life girlfriend of Brian Austin Green, would join the cast in season five as the complicated bad girl, Valerie Malone. Thiessen, who starred on the NBC show Saved by the Bell before coming over to 90210, beat out more than 200 actors for the job. And most fans of the show thought she did a pretty fine job of filling the void left by Doherty. Over the 10 years that 90210 was on the air, cast members and characters came and went. The Walsh parents moved to Hong Kong after season five. Gabrielle Carteris was written off the show in 1995 when she became pregnant in real life. She went on to host her own television talk show entitled Gabrielle, which lasted just one season. Other actors went and came back. Luke Perry left in season six, but returned in season nine. And there was always tons of cool guest appearances by up and coming actors, many of whom would go on to become quite famous. Matthew Perry, better known as Chandler Bing, made a small appearance in season one as the school's tennis star Roger, who became suicidal because of pressure from his dad. Don't worry, Brandon stepped in to save the day as usual. James Pickens Jr., also known as Dr. Richard Weber on Grey's Anatomy, played Henry Thomas, the manager at the Beverly Hills Beach Club, where Brandon worked in the summers throughout high school. Hilary Swank played single mom Carly Reynolds, who was a love interest for Steve Sanders. Swank says she was supposed to be on the show for at least two seasons, but was fired in 1995 after just 16 episodes. Lucy Liu played a waitress at the Peach Pit, and David Arquette played Diesel Stone, a rock star and ex-boyfriend of Brandon's girlfriend, Nikki. Lots of real-life musicians appeared on the show too including Adam Levine with his pre-Maroon 5 band, Kara's Flowers, along with Color Me Bad, Christina Aguilera, The Flaming Lips, and Collective Soul. The Cardigans also performed at an over-the-top graduation party for Kelly at the end of season seven in May, 1997. And you'd be surprised to hear who almost got the gig. Writer and producer Larry Mullen pitched having the Spice Girls perform on the show, they were riding high on their hit song, Wannabe, which was released in the U.S. five months earlier. Jason Priestley happened to be directing that episode, and he rejected the Spice Girls idea and hired the Cardigans instead, who had released their song, Love Fool, the year before. Larry Mullen incidentally quit the show over the decision saying he died on the Spice Girls' Hill. Jason Priestley actually directed 15 episodes of 90210, including two of the series' most iconic ones. The one where Dylan's wife, Toni Marchette, played by Rebecca Gayhart, was killed in a mob hit mix-up. And the episode where Donna Martin, played by Tori Spelling, finally loses her virginity, much to the disappointment of Tori's dad, Aaron Spelling. Spelling was quite fond of Priestley, and that's part of the reason he asked him to direct the touchy episode involving his daughter. It's also why Spelling was let down when Priestley unexpectedly called it quits during the filming of Season 9. In 2014, Priestley told CNN that when he left, he felt the character of Brandon had kind of run its course. But in retrospect, he regrets leaving because he knows that Aaron Spelling really wanted him and Kelly Taylor to get married. And he ruined any chance of that by leaving the show prematurely. By the time Jason Priestley moved on from 90210, the show had gone through several evolutions. From a high school show, to a college show, to one just about the lives of young adults. By its 10th season, which kicked off in September 1999... 90210 was the longest-running drama on American nighttime TV. But many of the original cast members were gone, and those that were left were in their 30s. Plus, ratings had dropped significantly. Only 4% of the country's teens tuned into the show. Remember, way back in 1991, that number was over 50%. Here's Tara Ariano.
2: The people that I think were still watching there, it was either out of habit or to see how bad it could get. Like, I think by the end, there's definitely was a hate watch contingent toward the end, especially when, like, post the college years, it's like, why is this even still happening?
0: So after nearly 300 episodes, Fox made the tough decision to end the once mighty teen drama. The finale, which saw Donna and David get married, along with a reunion between Kelly and Dylan, aired on May 17th, 2000 closing a major chapter of the 1990s. In addition to entertaining TV viewers, teens and adults alike, Beverly Hills 90210 solidified Fox as a viable network. It also resuscitated the career of Aaron Spelling, and it created the template for a successful teen drama. It's easy to look back now and say, 90210 wasn't the best thing ever created. Lots of cringeworthy storylines, especially in the final three seasons. And yes, there are many other teen shows that came after that in some cases were a lot better. But none of those would exist without 90210. Everything from Dawson Creek and Veronica Mars to The O.C. and Gossip Girl, owe credit to the kids at West Beverly Hills High.
2: It's not overstating things to say how it changed culture and like how teens were had just more and more and more pop culture marketed to them. It was like in, in years prior to that, it would be like two or three shows that weren't on Saturday morning or whatever. And then as 90210 Plus, Saved by the Bell, I think both just changed the game in terms of appreciating teens as an audience who were going to go absolutely apeshit crazy for these shows. Beverly Hills 90210 also launched
0: the careers of many stars. And we shouldn't forget that it gave us a couple of spin-offs including the juicy nighttime soap opera, Melrose Place. And that's coming up on our next episode of History of the 90s. Thanks for listening to this look back at Beverly Hills 90210. I know there's lots of listeners out there who loved this show. The topic has been suggested many times, thanks to anyone who wrote in to ask for it, including Jonathan Mello, Corey, Margot, and Colin Smith. Thanks also to Tara Ariano and Sarah D. Bunting for sharing their knowledge and expertise. They host the podcast again with this, Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place, which is available anywhere you stream audio. Tara and Sarah also have a great book. You might want to pick it up if you're a 90210 superfan. It's called A Very Special 90210 Book, 93 Absolutely Essential Episodes from TV's Most Notorious Zip Code. As always, Patreon subscribers can listen to my whole interview with Tara and Sarah. Head over to www.patreon.com slash history of the 90s to check it out. You can also reach me on Twitter and Facebook at 1990s history and on Instagram at that90spodcast. The email for the show is 90s at curiouscast.ca. This episode was hosted and written by me, Kathy Kinzora. Our producer is Dila Velasquez, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s.